1: Hi, this is Nancy, and you're listening to Aging Life Network. I'm your host, and we are live today, coming to you from Voice America. Welcome. Each Wednesday, I will be exploring all aspects of the world of aging. For more than 20 years, I've been immersed in this world. I've met so many professionals and individuals committed to improving the lives of seniors. These professionals work with older adults in the fields of law, medicine, home care, life care management, and finance. They understand how important educating families is because families are the front line of care today. We all know that without the care and support of family members, the care system in this country would collapse. This show is for you, the family, whether you be the adult child, uh, a spouse, or a fam- part of a family of choice. It is our way of giving back and it is our goal to have you leave us feeling more confident to ask questions and more comfortable in feeling that you are doing all you can for those you love. I will be here every Wednesday live at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the health and wellness channel here at voiceamerica.com. After today, you can also listen on demand Uh, on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, or on your favorite podcast platform. Today, we are talking about making the choice to live with a loved one. It's a pretty big decision, one you may have already made, or you might be considering, one that usually requires more than most are prepared to manage. However, the trend of family caregivers living with their loved ones has been happening for quite some time and has only recently accelerated during uh, COVID-19. In fact, in 2020, one in five Americans are reported to be family caregivers, and 40% report their loved one is living with them. That's a lot of people. It's about 27 million people, caregivers, who are living with a loved one. All of these, and uh, there's many reasons uh, why people would make this choice, Um, whether it's um, to move to a facility. Most people want to age in place. Um, We've known that for a very long time. It's been driving care services, um, statewide, nationally for a very long time. And so um, this phenomenon of living with loved ones been happening for more than 25 years on a pretty strong trend line. And then along comes COVID. So like so many other areas of life, COVID has thrown a wrench into the plans that were already set and completed. Perhaps your loved one is already in a facility and you're now considering uh, whether or not you should uh, move them to your home or move to their home or move to a different home. Knowing that 80% of all COVID deaths in the US are those over age 65, and 45% of all COVID deaths are those in nursing homes and assisted living, it's no surprise that families are bringing their loved ones home or at least considering it. And so today we'll be discussing some of the things you'll wanna consider or plan for if such a change is in your future. And for those of you who have already made this change, I hope we will offer you some things as well. I have two guests with me today. My guest, Michael Ferena, is CEO of a very large home care company, Jev's Care at Home, out of Philadelphia. He works with individuals receiving home care services under Medicaid waiver, the Veterans Administration Aid and Attendance Program, and under Private Pay Arrangements. Michael has worked with families in the care at home arena for many years. And I've asked him to talk with us about the challenges he has seen over the years with families wrestling with managing a loved one's care. And we'll also talk a little bit about managing home care. My second guest is an attorney um, named Margaret Graham. Uh, known to many of us as Peggy Graham, known to most people as Peggy Graham, so I'll probably call her Peggy. And she is an elder law attorney, a specialty area of the law that has been growing um, at the same rate for the last 25 years. Peggy has worked with many families seeking to formalize caregiver arrangements with one family member and has unfortunately seen, as Mike has, many of the challenges families run into that begin to create conflict within the family. She and I will talk about ways to mitigate um, conflict. Now, there are many reasons this living arrangement might come about. You begin to notice mom needs more help with cooking, medication management, um, bill paying, um, you know, uh, her home is not being cared for, uh, There might be a medical event that leaves your loved one needing assistance with daily activities. Perhaps a dementia diagnosis has just occurred, and you begin to realize that someone needs to be in the home with your loved one round the clock to ensure safety. There might be affordability issues with um, the inability to um, place care in the home other than yourself. Um, In my family's own case, it was the death of my father and my mother simply telling her five children she did not want to live alone at a time when she was still fully independent. So, you know, that may occur. And in fact, my mother remained independent for the last 10 of, of the 15 years of her life. If your new living arrangement is being considered, you should probably do a few things first. Determine what you or your other household members are willing and able to do and for how long. I mean, these are some of the things you should think about. Uh, Perhaps now you're working from home, but what about later? Uh, Perhaps now your loved one, like my own family, is independent and able to care for herself, but uh, or she doesn't need, he or she doesn't need too much help, but what about later? Um, You should talk with other family members and determine how they might assist. Um, Create a plan as a group. Find out as much about your loved one's finances as you can. Um, Can they afford to bring in outside help if you can't manage it all? Um, Do they have long-term care insurance? Uh, We'll talk about benefits a little bit. Are they a possibility? Are they veterans? Do they have their DD-214 discharge documents? All of these things need to be thought about. Um, You need to decide if your loved one will pay room and board. Will they pay you? Will you need to add an addition to your home? How will that expense be handled? We'll talk a little bit with uh, Peggy Graham about that. Should it be discussed with other family members? Do you know what care your loved one needs? Can you physically handle the care? Do you need some training? Will special equipment be needed? Do you know what Medicare covers? What resources are available in your state? All of those things become pretty critical. So let me bring Michael Farina in. As I said, Michael is the CEO of Jev's Care at Home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He brings an abundance of expertise and experience. He uh, has served as division director for an international home care organization. He um, has an MBA in healthcare administration from Wilmington University and a BS in business management, marketing, and leadership from Eckerd College. Michael's been a guest speaker on many podcasts, and I believe he understands the challenges family caregivers face and is committed to offering them high quality assistance. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Nancy.
1: Sure. So let's, Mike, let's talk about what types of challenges you've seen families face when uh, a loved one has returned to their home or they've moved in with their loved one. And, um, and uh, home care is in there a little, a lot, but um, you've worked with a lot of families. Tell us about some of the challenges you've seen them
2: face. Sure. It's, it's generally not just one thing. So it, no matter what service is identified originally, uh, it tends to, any type of care in the home uh, tends to take on, have many tentacles that, that expand beyond the primary reason why maybe home care is in there or you know, maybe it's just a piece of equipment. It, it always comes with many other questions that could lead to the, the next evolution of care. Um, so one thing I realized is even people in the industry that are caring for loved ones still don't know what they don't know. Uh, and, you know, one of the general advice, you know, I would give any family, and I, I've been through this uh, within the past couple of years uh, with my wife's side of the family. Um, we have two nurses, you know, that uh, they, they've been lifelong nurses uh, their whole career. They didn't know what to do. Um. So it, it just starts with asking very general questions um, on what should I expect? You know, ask every professional, every healthcare professional that you're going through um, to to set up whatever care you need. What should I expect? Um, you know, what could come from receiving this service? You know, what, just any general question is not a bad question because everybody's situation is so different. Mm-hmm. Some of the the other questions that, that come up is, um, you know, once you start to understand what you don't know and you're starting to learn about it, uh, who do I call to ask these questions to? Because, right. you know, I'm not an expert in other parts of healthcare. I mean, in fact, I'm not an expert in every part of home care. So there's opportunity to connect with other individuals that are really close to the type of service that you need that can provide the best information.
1: So do you find yourself um, providing a lot of referrals to families? Is that something that you've had to do?
2: Absolutely. Uh, You're a community resource first. Uh, Every time time the phone rings, it doesn't mean that you're going to provide services for that person that may be in need. They may not even know that they're in need. But the fact of the matter is, uh, as a home care provider, you're integrated into the healthcare care community. And any good provider should have connections um, across the continuum of care to be able to make a referral for you. You know, a warm handoff, an introduction, an email, a phone number. That stuff should happen, whether that organization is going to directly help that person or not.
1: So what kinds of calls or or referrals have you found yourself needing to make?
2: Well, there's oftentimes, there's family dynamics can get in the way of any type of care, especially when there's children involved um, and maybe they don't live near each other. And, you know, there's a difference of opinion, Um, you know, going through an aging life professional, geriatric care manager, you know, I've made those Mm -hmm. types of referrals Um, I've also started care with clients that didn't have the medical equipment that they needed. Um, So, utilizing our clinical teams to identify what's needed, contacting the appropriate medical equipment companies and and getting the services and equipment that's needed for their condition and what their insurance covers, Um, you know, the the provider should be helping the clients or those in need with their insurance through these processes.
1: Well, yeah, and I, I find that I, I don't believe families. Families often don't know that a call to their loved one's primary care physician um, can trigger a home health assessment, which will then trigger perhaps physical therapy uh, or the proper equipment, et cetera. And it starts with getting that physician's order. Have you found, found that to be the case that... Families don't know that piece.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, there's just like I was saying, you know, I, I may be in home care, but not the expert in all types of home care. Sometimes your physician doesn't know what to do. You know, that maybe they're not a, a big proponent of home care or, or don't make those referrals often. You know, so asking the, the question um, any type of home health, you know, Medicare driven referral has to come with the physician's order. So asking the question to the physician first is very important. It's a trigger.
1: And it, it's true. If the physician is not specifically a geriatric physician, they may not understand all of the definitions under Medicare, such as homebound, correct, status, right, um, which would allow for weekly nurse visits, let's say. And so... Um, those things can be missed easily. And and the physician sees the person for 15, 20, 30 minutes every three months. So it really becomes the family's job, essentially, to alert the physician of the need.
2: Yeah, the, the, the other thing is um, the, the tried and true practices of, you know, something as simple as going to the corner pharmacy may not always be in the best interest of, of a family that, can't get to the pharmacy anymore. You know, so this, some of the other healthcare providers in the the community that you might be working with might lead you to more efficient ways of getting the things that you need, even though it might be a little uncomfortable at first.
1: Yes. So, um, Michael, I would like to talk a little bit more about this and then um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the common misunderstandings that family caregivers might have about, obtaining outside care, but we're going to have to take a break. And so um, I'll have you come back and join us at that point. Uh, Until then, um, I do encourage people to download um, my guide, Top 10 Things You Need to Know to Care for an Aging Loved One, You can find that here on the Voice America page. Uh, It's an easy download, or go to my website, AgingLifenetwork.com, where you can also um, seek, um, you can schedule calls with professional life care managers as needed. Uh, Yeah, so we'll come back with Michael Farina from Jev's Care at Home in just a few moments.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, this is your host again, Nancy Oriola. Welcome back. I am here with Michael Farina with Jev's Care at Home, and we are talking about Um, bringing a loved one, living with a loved one, sharing a home with a loved one. Uh, So we were talking about the types of challenges that families face when caring for a loved one in their home. And I was asking Michael over the break, um, what about if they don't have any care, if they can't afford care? um, You know, where are the places they can turn and um, you know I belong to and uh, am a part of and and was for a number of years because of my own um, family issues but also my interest professionally in the experience of caregivers across the board. I belong to a lot of groups on Facebook. you can um, just google or search caregiver and um, there's quite a few groups about, those um, caring for someone with dementia, uh, caring for elderly parents. And uh, it's really a great form of support. But what I've learned from those groups over the years is that um, many, many people are doing it absolutely alone, and um, it's an incredible hardship. Um, Michael, um, we don't have a lot of time, so I'd like to talk about – some of the work you do under Medicaid, VA aid and attendance. I mean, those are clearly benefits for people who have affordability issues that people can look toward uh, for assistance. And I know every state is different, but I think the VA program is pretty standard federally. Can you talk a little bit about um, how people qualify for those kinds of programs?
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the Medicaid programs in general, uh, they're state run. So each state, like you said, does have a, a couple differences, uh, you know, in the way that they approve or the, the waivers they might be approved for. Um, and, and each state and waiver is going to have some different set of rules and caps uh, based on their budget. But uh, the most important thing is any person, you know, any family member that might be caring for a loved one, um, just ensure that they are going to medical appointments. I and mean, that's first and foremost, because you have to have somebody that's going to support, you know, your efforts in, in getting care. Uh, contacting, you know, like in Pennsylvania, uh, it's managed care. So the state is no longer running the Medicaid program. Um, so it has to go through managed care in order to get authorized and there's a whole set of assessments um, there's county assistance offices that you have to get qualified through which comes with paperwork um, mm-hmm. you, you have to be able to have your records in order um, so the the first thing is see your doctor uh, on a on the the right schedule for your situation and um,
1: do you have to be uh, impoverished to um you have to meet certain income and asset guidelines to um, yeah. under those Medicaid managed care programs?
2: Yeah, there there is income guidelines. Uh, and there's plenty of paperwork to go with it as well. Um, you know, they, you're, you're going to have to get approved through the assessment process, uh, usually at these county assistant offices. Um, so you, you have to have your records in order. And you have to be able to prove whatever your situation is. Sure. Um, So the first thing, you know, after seeing your doctor is get your documents in order, especially if you're not ready for it now. It's almost like selling a business. You want to be prepared before you put it up for sale. Um, You want to be prepared before you need care. Um, It makes the process run a lot smoother.
1: And what kind of documents are you talking about? Um, Tax returns, um, social security income statements that kind of thing
2: exactly you know mm-hmm. things like that any type of assets documentation mm-hmm. on assets um, I, I know there's certain people that go in the long term um, living situations where uh, you know if you have a, a home that you own well that's an asset um, mm-hmm. you might not be able to get a bed under the Medicaid um, waiver or the you know the Medicaid program because of it
1: yeah although that's part of the growth of the elder law attorney is um, is knowing the nuances of those rules. But yeah, you know, uh, Peggy's not here to talk about that, but um, it may be something that comes up today. Um, so just because you have a home doesn't necessarily mean you won't qualify. There's a lot of sub rules, if you will, but um, and it might be the same with um, the advantage, the uh, Medicaid waiver Programs, the managed care programs, you know, we're coming up on a Medicare um, renewal process. So if somebody, if they think a loved one does qualify, but their loved one is under some kind of supplemental or a retirement, health plan? Um, would it be prudent of them to think about a change to managed care? Or should they, can they call the managed care folks and talk about eligibility? Where would they look to find out about eligibility in their state?
2: Under the Medicare bucket. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's all. It's oh, am I saying things. Medicare? I
1: meant Medicaid. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, under Medicaid. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to want to every county has a, uh, an assistance office to, to provide information. Okay. Um, so I, I okay. definitely start locally. Okay.
1: Well, and how about aid and attendance? I mean, that is, that's a whole different ball game and it really only relates to what, uh, individuals who are veterans or their spouses, correct?
2: Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, there's other, um, There's additional benefits too. If you've served during wartime, uh, you know, you can have extended hours. Uh, With the the VA benefit, the one thing that um, some people get upset about is it doesn't cover 24 hours a day. You know, if you do qualify under the VA, um, there's minimal hours, but it is relief and it, it, it could be respite relief in certain circumstances and it could be continuous short hour relief.
1: Right. I, I don't think I've seen any um, benefit program ever um, that covers 24-7. I mean, a long-term care policy, you know, gives you a pool of money and you might be able to pull it off, but generally not. Correct? Right. That's, yeah. Nobody covers 24-7. Yeah. Um, okay and um what do you think some of the common misunderstandings families have about obtaining outside care
2: so i'll try to hit these quick um yeah the first one the number one um, complaint or reason for people to get upset is the misunderstanding that medicare covers everything Mm -hmm. medicare does not cover everything um and when you talk about custodial care or you know caregiving Medicare does not cover it Mm -hmm. unless there's a skilled need. And even so, it's on a very minimal basis. And skilled
1: need means medical, some kind of. Medical. Okay.
2: Yeah, skilled nursing, um, therapist coming, you know, PT, OT, speech, something like that coming to the home. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually after, you know, a hospital stay, a rehab stay, a fall, things like that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm right, a bath aid, but it's relatively short term, a couple of weeks.
2: <laughs> right. And the, the next, I, I, the two other things, um, just general expectations uh, on what the caregivers can and can't do. Um, there are rules and scopes of practice for a caregiver. Uh, in many states, you cannot give medication. And that, that comes up almost in every state I've worked in, families, feel like they're, they're either paying for or they you know, their authorization should include off-mat or uh, med management. And that is not the case in most states.
1: Yeah, every state is so different that I one time brought my own mother to New York from Massachusetts over Thanksgiving, and she needed a lot of personal care. And we arranged for home care, but we didn't ask the question about personal care. And when I got there for Thanksgiving, we found out that they couldn't do personal care without a New York state licensed physician ordering it. Um, So it is critical that you check and ask those questions of the home care company. What is needed to, to meet the needs of my loved one?
2: Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. especially crossing state lines.
1: Did you have one other for us?
2: Yeah, the, the other thing, and this might be more home care specific, but it takes time to get ongoing schedules right. Uh, a lot of families feel like you know, there's a long bench of caregivers you know, or nurses, depending on your situation, just ready to go, and they're going to be a perfect match. Uh, The minute they walk in the front door, you know, a a lot of the care that we provide, it's not just the care, it's creating peace of mind. And that means you have to be comfortable, both people, the the caregiver and the client and the family of the client all have to be comfortable with one another. And sometimes that could take two weeks. Sometimes it could take three weeks. uh, But everybody has a voice in the arrangement and can say at any point in time, Mm -hmm. this is right or this isn't right. So working through those
1: nuances is important. Right. Well, Michael, um, I'm sorry we don't have the whole hour to talk about this because I think it's an important subject and we will talk about it another time. But I wanna thank you for joining me today to discuss some of the things that you're aware of and have observed over your many years in this business, um, on issues that come up for families and uh, I appreciate you being with us. Thanks.
2: Thank Thanks you. for the opportunity.
1: Thank you. I'd now like to turn my time over to Peggy Graham. I'm not sure how much time we have before our break. I hope we have a little bit of time, but Ms. Margaret Graham is a partner of the basing Basinger Weidman and Sale law firm in New Mexico. She practiced prior to New Mexico and Kansas for 15 years, where she was an assistant attorney general prosecuting child and adult abuse cases, uh, working in the area of guardianship and conservatorship for hundreds of vulnerable adults, and she represented the state in Medicaid and welfare benefit appeals. She's also been an administrative law judge. She is now has her um, practice focused on elder law, specifically in the area of guardianships, conservatorships, estate planning, probate, and fiduciary litigation. Um, She's tried cases in both federal and state courts. She works with the Social Security Administration and the New Mexico Human Services Department where she's represented those folks. She is a frequent speaker. I've heard her speak many times on Medicaid planning, special needs planning, guardianship conservatorships and special education. She has a unique perspective on uh, representing families who have special needs children and children with uh, developmental disabilities. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, So, some people might be wondering, why would you want an elder law attorney on a show um, focused on the topic of bringing mom home? Um, Those who um, who have brought mom home and been doing this for a while may understand why, but let's talk about it. So, I know that um, you have your own perspective on working with families um, who have, uh, and the whole issue of family dynamics, and that you have an understanding from your perspective of the kinds of problems that families might encounter, particularly when one family member and, you know, and there may be a large group of others Uh, bring mom into their home or move into mom's home, dad's home, Um, and and so I wanted your perspective to be here with us today. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so what kinds of problems have you encountered? Well, there's certainly a lot, and
3: families are unique. As Michael pointed out, every situation is a little different, and every family is a little different, so the challenges they bring can be a little bit different from time to time, but in general, what families need to be looking at and what they need to be considering. And again, as Michael pointed out, planning ahead to the extent possible can make a huge difference in the success of the plan for your elderly parent, your elderly family member. Challenges that arise most often uh, come from confusion not really understanding what their getting person is getting into, what their family member needs, what other family members maybe believe the care provider is going to be doing for their for their loved one, what the elderly individual believes the care provider is going to be doing for them. And having these conversations and making decisions and knowing what options are available, what the loved one needs ahead of time to the extent possible can really head off a lot of problems down the road. And that's why we try and work with families to plan and prepare as much as possible so we can address the the, the landmines that they may encounter
1: and get those taken care of early. That's good. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, I would imagine that um, you often see differences of opinion about a loved one's needs. And um, and we can talk about ways that 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 can get resolved. Um, But uh, for now, I would say that, um, you know, how do we minimize these problems? How do we help people um, see what the needs are?
3: So we start with knowledge. And the first question is, what does the elderly parent need? What kind of care are they going to require? Are we dealing with somebody who has early onset dementia and is still able to make a lot of decisions and has a lot of capacity? Are we dealing with somebody who has end stage dementia and is really not capable of making any decisions or any self-care? Or are we dealing with a family member who is more managing physical ailments, but has uh, their capacity is completely intact and they can participate and help and make decisions as to what level of care they need, uh, but their physical uh, needs are are greater. And so the first question is really, what are we dealing with and what type of care do we need to provide? And and starting Mm -hmm. at that point helps Mm -hmm. us dictate where to go.
1: And who's going to provide it? Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Well, um, I want to talk about that a little bit more. I want to talk about, um, I want to hear some of your advice about how we, more about how we minimize those problems and avoid escalations, including, uh, the topic of caregiver agreements that I know you have a lot of experience with. I think that, um, sometimes, uh, individuals get into trouble because they don't talk about the financial aspects everybody gets thinks it's a little awkward and you know have trouble asking questions um but but let's get back to that we're going to take a break right now and when we come back i have a few more questions i'll organize my thinking and we'll talk some more with peggy graham elder law attorney okay thanks
3: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home,
1: go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa,
0: play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need.
2: Opinions, options,
1: answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back, and I'm here with Peggy Graham, Elder Law Attorney. And before we continue with... Um, caregiver agreements and transparency and other things we want to talk about. I have asked Peggy to um, speak briefly to the Medicare-Medicaid issue, which is a specialty of hers, and she has offered to do that. Um, It'll be a very summarized version, and um, I'm sure we'll have Peggy back at another time to talk about it in more detail, so have at it, Peggy. Thank you,
3: Nancy. The the most important thing for people to remember is Medicaid and Medicare are very different programs. Medicaid is a federal program that is run by states individually. The federal government gives the states a pot of money, and the states have discretion as to how to spend that money for various programs from poverty level to to waiver-type programs, whereas Medicare also is a federal program, but it's administered by the federal government. So it's really the same from state to state. Medicare is a benefit that people, uh, that citizens receive based upon their age. They hit the magic number 65, 67, 65 currently for most people, and they are entitled to that benefit, and it's basically a, a, a um, health insurance type program, paying for do- helping pay for doctor's appointments, hospitalizations, and it only pays for, for nursing or assisted living or, or uh, rehabilitation care for a short period of time after a hospitalization. Medicaid, on the other hand, is more of a um, benefit program for folks that have lower income or have uh, no income in some cases. And there are requirements that individuals have to meet, as Michael pointed out, in order to qualify for that. Medicaid in most states provides a lot more coverage as far as nursing care and assisted living care for someone who needs it. But again, there are asset and income requirements that need to be met to qualify for Medicaid. And it's important that if you have concerns or questions about that, that you speak with an attorney quickly, because we can plan for folks. We can do what we call Medicaid planning to help folks if they need to qualify for Medicaid, but have assets that we need to address. And we can help with that when we have enough time in
1: advance of their needing that service. So they're just different programs. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for the clarification. So um, we, over the break, talked briefly about transparency and problems that arise when there is not transparency. And you were also speaking earlier about uh, how important it is that communication occur. Um, It made me think of one case in which I was working and the son was had his father move in with him and he um asked his brother to sign a contract if you will or an agreement that he could get x amount of money up front um guaranteed regardless of when his father died because he was leaving his job early he was retiring you know two years earlier And what he didn't tell his brother is that he, at the same time, had put his father on hospice. And so that created quite an escalation in conflict among those siblings and in that family. Uh, But, you know, more often than not, it will be benign things such as, you know, um, daughter living with mom, you know, the daughter who may not have um, the professional career or work that that others do. And, you know, a new car is purchased um, because mother and daughter both had very old cars and uh, it's purchased with mom's money and people get in an uproar about it and and suddenly there's accusations of, you know, someone's taking advantage of someone and and those are the things that really become serious problems among family members. And so um, talk about the transparency issue and, uh, and then let's talk about the caregiver agreement, please.
3: Absolutely, you're, you're exactly right, Nancy. Transparency is huge and can really head off a lot of problems. And when I talk about transparency, I'm talking about family members having a meeting, sitting down together with their loved one, preferably, and having a difficult conversation, and it's not pleasant. It is usually a difficult conversation, and it's not one that people particularly enjoy. But it's an important conversation, and and that is, again, going back to what are the what's the level of need that the in, that the uh, family member has, um, what is their cognitive capacity, and how much are they able to contribute to the discussion about what they need and who can provide what type of care. But it's also important to talk about what the the family member who's going to provide the care, what they're going to actually do, and are they going to be compensated? If so, how are they going to be compensated? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. How are mom or dad's funds going to be spent or, or utilized or managed? And what responsibilities does the care provider have? And that's where we come into care agreements. And the transparency piece also means that, of, that the family members who are not necessarily providing the direct care have a voice in what is happening and know what is happening, so that there's no surprises down the road when mom or dad pass away, and all of a sudden their their bank accounts have been depleted. Where did that money go? What happened to it? Why is um, the care provider now having uh, all kinds of, of new a new vehicle and
1: a new house and all sorts of, of uh, extra benefits. Mm-hmm. I I would even, I'm sorry, I I would even add that um, even if you, the person living with the loved one, is power of attorney, whether it's healthcare, finance, whatever, I always advise people, you know, particularly if you're in a sibling group, if you're a healthcare power of attorney, sure, you can make X, Y, Z decisions. But involving others, considering their opinions, listening to their concerns, never does any harm necessarily. Absolutely. I mean, you may not have to do what they want, but um, again, it goes along with the transparency issue.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And and knowing who is a decision maker and who has the authority to to have that final, this is how it's going to go, uh, this is what we're going to do decision is important that everyone in the family understands how that, that person's going to manage that role and what their obligations are. And it's important for the individual who's serving in that role to know what their fiduciary duty is, what their responsibility to their loved one is when making decisions for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of this we like to reduce to writing, Uh, having a care agreement in place, an actual written care agreement that outlines in detail what the obligations of the care provider are Uh, how they're going to be compensated and whether they have time off and vacations, um, like any Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. job, it's a lot of work. And and a lot of people don't realize how much work it actually is, how physically and emotionally draining it can be to be, to be a a care provider and people need a break. And what are we going to do when, when the care provider needs some time away, Um, who's going to step in and how is that going to be managed all of those things uh, need to go into a written care agreement that protects not only the individual who's receiving the care so that they know exactly what they're gonna get and what maybe what they're not gonna get. It protects the person providing the care because it, they have a document indicating exactly what they're responsible for and what, how they're gonna be compensated if they are. And other family members can understand exactly what mom or dad have agreed to do with the care provider as far as that goes.
1: Are, are you seeing um, uh, more and more elder law attorneys talking about this care agreement? Is this becoming a common practice?
3: It's not as common a practice as I would like it to be. It, it oh. certainly is becoming more and more uh, readily apparent to people that this need that this should happen. Unfortunately, a lot of times it happens because there's been a problem, and people realize that um, after the fact, maybe we should do a care agreement now. I've had a number of cases where we ended up in court with a guardianship or conservatorship proceeding because a family member didn't understand or didn't know or didn't agree with what was happening with their loved one. And the care provider is now under the gun to explain what they've done and how they've done it and where the Mm. money has gone. And so we end up doing care agreements sometimes after the fact, and we could have avoided all of that difficulty and and heartache and um, financial Contribution if we had done it in the beginning.
1: So if um, if someone is talking with a local attorney and it's it's a foreign subject to them, that attorney could probably contact you and talk about it.
3: Oh, absolutely. We're always mm-hmm. happy to, to help share that information, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully more and more elder law attorneys and um, and folks who work in this area are realizing the benefit of having these agreements in place and having them detailed. And then part of it is really thinking through all of the details, including what, as you talked about with your mom, what the the personal care is going to look like and who's going to provide that care. Sometimes um, I've had situations where a client didn't want a particular person helping them bathe. Um, and so we, we make sure that we right. have those issues covered and addressed in care agreements. And so The more detailed they are, the more helpful they are to everybody involved.
1: Right, right. Are there there, um, any other advice to minimize problems or avoid. I mean, certainly guardianship and um, overriding mom's choice of a healthcare power of attorney is probably the most extreme, right? piece and, and actually something I'm going to be talking about next week in a little more detail, but um, certainly something to avoid, I would think.
3: Guardianship is an absolute extreme. It's what I call the nuclear option in a lot of cases. We always want to start with the least restrictive measures, which is why we want to begin with what is the capacity of this individual? Do we have powers of attorney in place? If not, do they have the capacity to to execute powers of attorney? And if so, who should those individuals be, those agents to be making decisions, whether it's healthcare or finance? Um, That that's the, the place to start, hopefully, and if we have powers of attorney in place and powers of attorney are working, then we can avoid the need to involve the courts and go through the guardianship process. And even when we have good powers of attorney in place that are working, if we don't have transparency such that other family members are aware that the powers of attorney are in place and working they may not understand and they may want to bring an action in the court. And so, again, these things Mm -hmm. all work together Mm -hmm. to effectuate the best possible care that we can provide to our elderly family members.
1: Yeah. You know, in the the guide um, that I encourage people to download, uh, the top 10 things you need to know. um, The very first piece is who's on first, who's, who's running the show, who. Who has authority? Who has power of attorney? Is mom still able to direct um, her own affairs? Uh, it's really critical that that the family get clear on that um, in order to make all of this work. Um, yeah. The so the sooner the better. The sooner the better. Yes. The difficult conversation. So all of this um, we'll be talking about over the next. Um, several weeks, um, a segment on having difficult conversations, um, a segment on powers of attorney, guardianship. Um, many of the things you're talking about will be addressed in upcoming um shows. And so um, families need to just keep checking back every week. We'll be here. Peggy, it's been a pleasure. I know that you are a treasure trove of information and I encourage people to talk with um, yourself or an elder law attorney where they live and, um, you know, Review those powers of attorney, make sure they're good where you are. Um, Update them if mom is still able to do it and it's been 20 years. Um, You know, talk with folks, talk with your family members, communicate with your siblings. Um, More and more, uh, we'll be talking about elder mediation. It's a new area of um, ways to communicate for families. They, we've got a lot coming up in the next few months. So, Peggy, Michael, Farina, Peggy Graham, thank you so much, both of you, for being with me today. Um, this has been a great, great show, and I will um, catch up with you both very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. So um, please look, um, take a look at our website, aginglifenetwork.com. If you want to talk with someone uh, one-on-one, we've got life care managers available to do that. And also um, I've got a couple of guides that you can download and uh, become a part of the community. I look forward to seeing you or talking with you all next week, where um, my guest will be Christy Carbengal, and we will be discussing powers of attorney. Uh, Actually, we'll be discussing overcoming resistance to help um, when a loved one uh, believes that they're fine and they don't need the help. So uh, tune in next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and I'll see you then. Thanks.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.